In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. One of the things that I have been uh, asking myself since Easter is, uh, what's my role here at St. John's Church uh, since I am departing and retiring on May the 20th? And I have to tell you that it's been, uh, trying to figure that out has been a challenge all along. I know, I know what my task was up through Easter. Easter carries the day, but then after that, seven more Sundays. We clergy count things by the Sundays. Seven more Sundays, and I say, what is my role? As you well know, the role of the sermon is to elucidate about Scripture, but it's also to set direction. The sermon helps set direction for the congregation, because you hear over and over the, uh, the same purpose and the same standard that we want for ourselves. Not to, set, not to give directions, but to set direction for a church. So I've been asking myself, you know, what's my role now? What do I do now? Got a couple of Sundays, three more Sundays after this one to go. And then, uh, thanks be to God, the lectionary came along, and I read the lectionary. I said, thanks be to God, the lectionary has saved me from having to figure out what I wanted to say. And the lectionary, in a sense, guides, it's guiding us, uh, guiding me at any respect about a message for today. So let's start with that. Carl Sandburg, the great American writer, one time was asked, what is the most, what is the ugliest word in the English language? What is the ugliest word in the English language? And the story goes that Carl Sandburg thought and thought and thought for a while and finally said, exclusive is the ugliest word in the English language. Exclusive is the ugliest word in the English language. I don't know if you've ever been, if you've ever felt the sting of being excluded. I suspect all of us have had somewhere along the line some experience of being excluded for something in our lives. Some of, those, you know, some of those episodes are the ones that we remember the most, which is an odd thing. That we, that's what we remember the most about our lives. And I can remember one very clearly, the ninth grade in high school. I went to a boarding school in the ninth grade, and I, we were probably about 270, 280 boys at the school. And I don't know if you know anything about the culture of uh, boarding schools, but the culture of boarding schools is this, that uh, you want to be on a team. You want to be on a team because if you get on a team, then you belong to a group. And if you belong to a group, you have stature. And if you have stature, then you count in the school. So everybody tried out for the basketball team that first year that I was there in school in the ninth grade. And we tried out and we tried out. And I think half the school was trying out for the basketball team. And then finally on the day, we went for practice one day. And there on the coach's, uh, uh, coach's door were two lists. The first one was who made the varsity team, who made the junior varsity team. Now, I didn't even look into the varsity side of things. I was in the ninth grade. I knew I wasn't going to make that. But I looked over on the junior varsity thing, and there were the 10 guys that were going to be part of the junior varsity team, and my name was not in that group. Now, they didn't sugarcoat things back in those days to us. They didn't give you a medal or anything for trying out. They just told you, you know, take off your jerseys, put on your street clothes, and go back to your dormitory. And sure enough, what I remember is going back to my dormitory, and when I got to the dormitory, I'd been holding it up, but once I got there to my dormitory room, I remember crying and crying and crying because I had been excluded. And the pain of being excluded is a difficult pain. It is a harsh pain. It is one that hurts. All of us have had that experience, I think. All of us have been excluded somewhere along the line, and we have also excluded other people. I love this story from the book of Acts because it's a counter story to being excluded. It's all about inclusion. In it, we find Philip, Philip, one of the 12. 
who has had two cameo roles in Scripture up to this point. The first one, he's one of the guys who's there that invites Nathaniel to be a disciple. A very minor role, a cameo role. The second role takes place in John's Gospel, when finally towards the end, uh, uh, Philip asks Jesus, to say, well, how are we going to see the Father? How, how do we, who do we know who is the Father? And Jesus rebukes him and says, you've been with me all this time and you still don't know that the Father is in me and if you see me, you see the Father? I'm paraphrasing John's gospel here. But that's exactly what it says. But now today, in the eighth chapter, in the eighth chapter of the book of Acts, he has a central role. He has a central role because an angel appears to him. An angel appears to him and says, you... You have been had cameo appearances in all of the stories about, the, about Jesus. You have an important role. And the role is, I want you to go to that road that goes from Jerusalem down to Gaza. The road that's called the Wilderness Road. Now, for all of us who have ever traveled over to the Holy Land, you know that when they say it's a Wilderness Road, they're talking about the desert. It is a road through the desert. And he traveled, they're traveling through, he goes over to the road by the desert. And while he's standing there, uh, you know, in the middle of the day, which is a reminder that God is always inviting us to do things that are not appropriate. Who stands in the desert, in the sun, in the middle of the day? But that's what he does. He obeys the commandment of the angel, and he stands there, and here comes the Ethiopian official from the queen, and he has been to Jerusalem. And he's been to Jerusalem, and he's been there, and he's been praying, and he's been part of the liturgy, he's been listening to the liturgy, he's been there to worship, and he's been trying to figure out, do I belong in this faith? Am I part of the group that's there? Now, I don't know what happened in Jerusalem, but what we do know is that he hasn't found his place in the Bible. We know that he hasn't found this place in the Bible. He doesn't see himself in the Bible. And so he's still reading, he's still searching to see, where am I? Can I be part of this faith thing? Can I be a part of this group? And he's reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he's reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah, Philip, that's standing on the side of the road, overhears this. Uh, and then he goes and invites himself into the chariot. Now, that's a strange thing to do, don't you think? What if you went to somebody in Washington who's reading something out loud in their car at the stoplight, and you go, may I join you to explain what, what you're reading there? you probably find yourself full of holes very shortly after that. So you can imagine that he goes up to the guy, to the, to the eunuch, and he says to him, you know, let me interpret for you. Now, the eunuch has three strikes going against him. Three strikes going against him. First one is this. He's a foreigner. Number two, he's a Gentile. Number three, he's a eunuch. Now, you all can go back to the 23rd chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, verse 1, and I'm going to sugarcoat it for you here. I'm cleaning it up, what's in the 21st chapter, in the 23rd chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, verse 1. But basically it says, if you're a unit, you can't be a part of the faithful people. You can't belong to the congregation of the faithful. Chapter 23, Deuteronomy, verse 1. Maybe that's what he heard in Jerusalem. Maybe that's what they read on that day. And he said, I don't belong. I can't be a part of this faith group. I can't belong to the, the group of believers. But he's reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah, and then Philip joins him in the chariot, and he says, can you tell me about this guy? Who are they talking about? And Philip reads it and interprets from him and says, they're talking about Jesus of Nazareth. It's one of the suffering songs in 2 Isaiah. We're talking about Jesus of Nazareth, who also did not have a family, who also was rejected. And he is the chief cornerstone. He is the founder of the faith. He is the one to whom we belong. 
Now you can imagine the good news that this eunuch heard when Philip interpreted those words for him, can't you? And he can imagine to think, you mean I can be part of the group? You mean I can be part of the faithful people? You mean to tell me that I can belong in this group? As they go along, and here's another miracle in the Bible, in the middle of the desert, they find a pool of water. I've never found a pool of water in the desert. But there's a pool of water right there, and the eunuch says to Philip, what's to keep me from being baptized? And Philip says, nothing. There's nothing that can keep you from being baptized. And so you can imagine what's going on here. He gets off of that chariot, and he goes down. Now, that baptism wasn't like our baptism. You know, here at St. John's Church, we sprinkle a little water on top of everybody's head because we have such a small urn over here. But you can imagine that this was a real dunking experience. You can imagine that Philip took, uh, uh, took that eunuch and dunked him three times, and they dunked him three times, and he dunks him down. He says, away with isolation. Dunks him a second time. Away with rejection. Dunks him a third the third time. He says, away with humiliation. And he brings him back up, and he says, you know, God delights in you. God welcomes you. God accepts you regardless of who you are. When we baptize here at St. John's Church, we always remember the baptism of Jesus. And in the baptism of Jesus, if you can recall, a dove descends from the sky, and as a dove descends from the sky, we hear the voice of God that says, this is my beloved son or daughter with whom I am well pleased. And that's the most important thing that we can say about ourselves and our relationship with God. That the thing that God says about all of us is this, that God takes great delight in you, that you are God's favor, and that God is very, very pleased with you. I don't know what was said there at that baptism, but I like to think that that dove descended and that that eunuch heard those words, you are God's beloved, and with you, God is very well pleased. And all those things that, that kept them out there, they have all disappeared. And we remember then that God accepts each and every one of us, imperfect as we are, just as we are, and that God will never cut anybody from the team, that God turns no one away, that God excludes no one. I think this is a wonderful story of inclusion. It's a wonderful story of inclusion in binding all of us that that's the task for ourselves, to include each and every one in the company of the faithful. It runs so counter to everything else that we hear in our society. Back in January of 2017, we gathered here for a service before President uh, Trump was inaugurated, and the guy who was the preacher here, Bob Jeffers, talked about that it was God's will that a wall be built. Now, I don't care what politicians say, quite frankly. They're all just trying to make the news. But I do care about what clergy say. I do care about what clergy say because when they get theology wrong, it upsets me. And I think this was wrong theology. Because I want to tell you this. I think that God has created each and every one of us at a unit of God's grace. Unprecedented, irrepeatable, and irreplaceable. And that we're all accepted by God regardless of where we're born, regardless of where we're going, regardless of where we have been. Black, brown, yellow, white, it makes no difference. Well-educated, poorly educated, it makes no difference. Rich, poor, it makes no difference. Daughter of the American Revolution or recent arrival into this country, it makes no difference. 
gay or straight, it makes no difference. The task is to welcome each other, to include each other. Remember this, human unity is not something that we're called to create. God's created human unity. Our sin is that we tend to rend asunder what God has created. And what we're called to do is to respect the dignity of every human being, to respect what God has done about human unity. He has created each and every one of us as a unit of God's grace, a valuable unit of God's grace. Maya Angelou wrote these words. She said that prejudice is a burden that confuses the past, threatens the future, and makes the present inaccessible. And I think she's exactly right. And you and I, during the Easter season, are invited to see things differently, just as Philip saw things differently. Remember, he's Jewish. Remember, he knows the law. And yet after the Easter experience, he sees things differently. He sees things in a different way. Vision is not about the ability to see. Vision is about recognition. And somehow, Philip got that vision to see things differently, to see each and every one as a unit of God's grace. And so it is for all of us. My hope for St. John's Church is that St. John's Church will continue to be what it has always been, a very diverse congregation. A, di a diverse congregation that can quarrel with each other. Quarreling is not bad. Quarreling keeps us on our toes as long as we recognize that we are called by God to respect each other and to love each other because God first loved us. Today we are reminded that we are sent out into this world to be agents of welcome, to be agents of hospitality, to be agents of inclusion. Our mission, I think, from God is always very, very clear. It is always to welcome, to invite, to accept, to include, and to build up. Everyone, a unit of God's grace. Our ministry as disciples of Christ is to live that in our world. Amen.